Good morning again. It's so good to see y'all. I'm Barrett, one of the pastors here, and we just are so thankful that you've chosen to worship with us today. I know I just want to give a special welcome to all of you who are here because our church is a Pokestop. Welcome. Welcome. We're so thankful that you're here with us today. Um, Pikachu is right over in the corner. So right after service, you can just go and throw your little ball and get some points, and that'll be good. For those who don't know what I'm talking about, it's totally okay. You're better for it. Um, (laughs) Just kidding. If you're playing Pokemon Go, just make sure you're not neglecting the more important things of life and enjoy it. Uh, I did find out this week, our church, as well as many other churches in our city, we are official Pokestop. Some of you are wondering, what in the world does that mean? I'm wondering the same thing. But apparently, it means something because we have had a nonstop um, kind of parade of cars. People are pulling into our parking lot. And they pull up to the door like we're about to get attacked or something. They hold up their phone, and then they just drive off. It's very strange, okay? If you're one of the people doing this, please stop for your own reputation. Please stop. Um, but apparently, they're getting points here. They're like refilling here. So I was like, well, thank you, Google and Nintendo, whoever else did this, because it's cool that they're bringing people to church to refuel, because that is part of what we do. Um, But if you're here for Pokestop, there's something better I can offer you, friends. We'll talk about it later. Just see me after church. Um, But it's been an interesting week. Isn't it cool that um, we are sending this morning our third church member as a missionary? Isn't that cool? Uh, Just so thankful that God is, is so at work transforming hearts and lives here. And we're seeing that kind of missional movement. And uh, just, it's a, if nothing else today, it's just a day of celebration that we have a God, just remembering a God who loves like he does and all, all people in all places and to, to have a God that moves people like Lindy to be a part of that. I'm just so thankful, Lindy. We love you. I'm gonna miss you. Um, but it's really, really cool. Well, today we're gonna continue our series 10 life-changing questions that Jesus asked. Y'all ready for it? Um, 10 life-changing questions that Jesus asked. We've been going through this series because it's like 383, something like that, questions in the four gospels that Jesus asked. It's really interesting. And if you're new this morning, what we've been doing is just kind of looking at um, some of these questions, the ones that really, um, to me, are the most important and impactful uh, for this season together, just that God led us and. We're going to continue journeying in that today. Jesus asked the questions not because he was confused, but because he was trying to help us know more of him and more of us. He's really trying to get at our hearts. And these questions, man, I hope that you're like me and you've just been letting Jesus wrestle with you and just where you are in your heart and bringing your heart to be more like him. I'll tell you one thing. God loves you. I know that much today. He loves you. He loves you so much. And you are made. God created you. You're, you're not an accident. You weren't a, a product of your parents, although you were. But God created you. He gave you life. And he gave you life that you might know him. Life is found. Life makes sense in relationship with God. And whether you're just seeking somewhere along the journey today, wherever you are, wherever God meets you today, I'm just going to pray now that God, God would just remind, show you in some new way today just how much Uh, He loves you, how he's created you for him and how life, your heart, everything else just only makes sense really when we're fully given over to him. And so I'm just gonna pray for you now. I just hope today that you would know God's awesome love for you, love that gave, that gave himself, his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever might believe in him would not perish, but have newness, everlasting life. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this time to draw near to your word. You are speaking, Lord, through your word, your Holy Spirit is here and alive and able to bring us close to you. 
So Lord, I just pray that as we draw near to you, I pray every person would have a heart to draw near to you. But as we do, I pray you would draw near to us. Lead us closer to you. Lord, we need you. Thank you for your love that was poured out for us. I pray that if there's anyone here today that just needs a reminder of that or needs for the first time to be aware of that, Lord, that you would work deeply in their hearts, that your Holy Spirit would awaken us to the wonderful life that you offer and give and give and give your grace upon grace poured out for us in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would find you sufficient. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 22 today. Luke chapter 22 and we're going to come across a passage um, that, ooh, I hate that sound. Um, we're going to counter this week, the seventh week, seventh question of Jesus that we're looking at together. Context of the passage, we're going to start in verse 14. Context of the passage is essentially that um, Jesus is nearing his death, okay? Jesus came that he might lay down his life as a ransom for many. He's nearing his death, and he's spending precious time with his disciples here as we approach the text. Um, Jesus, of course, spent his, his whole life uh, ministering, preaching and teaching, proclaiming the kingdom of God, offering newness of life for all who would believe, calling people, including us, to follow him, to look to him for life. And he's nearing his, the time of his betrayal and arrest and his crucifixion. And he's stealing away some time right now with those who he loved and invested in the most, his disciples. And we see a familiar setting, which is the Lord's Supper. Some of you might have heard of this setting. Um, They're celebrating the, the Passover meal together. And uh, we see here in verse 14, it says, When the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table and his apostles with him. And he said to them, I've, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given it thanks, he said, Take this, divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them, and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they'd eaten and said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the son of man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then in verse 23, Jesus just led one of the most consecrated moments of their whole time together with he and his disciples. He's pointing directly to what he's about to do and giving his body and pouring out his blood. This moment of greatest love, greatest sacrifice for forgiveness of sins, yours and mine, and for newness of life for all who believe. He's just, I mean, think about the moment, how serious that would be. And then he said, uh, and, and there, at the table among you here is the one who's going to betray me. He's issued a warning and a 
word of condemnation for the one who would betray it. Well, then in verse 23, we see something interesting happen, and it says, and they began to, to, to question one another. Which, which one of these could betray Jesus? Which one of them was going to do this, the scripture says. And a dispute, verse 24 says, a dispute also rose up among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. So, I mean, how quickly the attention turns from this very serious moment with Jesus to suddenly very serious moment, like just looking at themselves, right? Because here all the disciples are going, really? Somebody here is gonna betray? Who's, who is it? And they begin talking about which one of them they think it's gonna be. <laughs> you right? So it's that they're basically sizing up their, their peers, you know? Who could it be? And then the, the argument quickly moves to this discussion of not just who's the worst among them, but who would be the best among them. Do you, you see what it says there in verse 24? It says, a, a dispute also arose about who the greatest among them would be. And so here they are in the presence of Jesus who is about to give his, his life that they may have life. And they're sitting around talking about Who's better than the others? You know, I, 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 you remember when I did this for Jesus? No, you remember when I did that? No, think about my devotion to him. I have always been this. I have always... And they just start looking around the room instead of looking at Jesus and comparing to the point that they're literally trying to rank one another <laughs> according to who's the worst, who, who do they think is going to betray him, and, and then who's, who's the best. You can just imagine Jesus going, just sitting there looking at this conversation going, seriously? <laughs> like, really, guys? And, and the response is, well, it's needed. Verse 25, Jesus looks up and maybe interrupts, maybe waits till they finish, and he says to them, guys, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But it's not to be so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who sires. Here's the question, verse 27. For who is greater? The one who reclines at the table or the one who serves. Now, at first you might think this is a trick question. Aha, Jesus, trick question. But there's an obvious answer, right? I mean, if you, if you go to Chili's, would you rather be sitting at the table or would you rather be in the kitchen cooking the food? Come on, friends. I'd rather be sitting at the table. Am I the only one? Gosh, I've just revealed my selfishness. I love their queso, man. I'm just saying, I mean, in an ordinary setting, it's not really a trick question. You know, when you, go, when you go to dinner, would you rather be the one eating dinner or the one having to do all the dishes or the one serving without dinner? That's the question. So the answer, obvious? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? Jesus asked. He's like, 
come on, don't you? Isn't that what you would choose? But then, aha, uh-huh, it is a trick question. Because Jesus answers. He says, but look, here am I among you. As the one who, who what? Who serves. But here I am as a one who serves. So in other words, you're saying, that's the ordinary response in the ordinary world, but I'm talking about a different kingdom. I'm talking about a different world in God's realm. In God's realm. The way that you define greatest is completely different than the realm that we typically live in and think in, act in. For the greatest is not the one who reclines, but the one who serves. The greatest is not the one eating queso, lounging around at the table, but the greatest among you is the one doing the dishes in the back, the one waiting. But I am among you as the one who serves. This is a theme that is not, um, it's not new in the gospels at all. And it's not the first time that the disciples, some of y'all weren't here, summer study on Wednesday night, we were watching this video and the guy was like, there's a reason they call them the disciples. I was like, that's the lamest joke, but I love it. I love that joke. That's so good. I love it so much. I just used it on a Sunday morning. Isn't that great? Um, there's a reason they call them that. They, they were slow to get things, and aren't we too? You know, if you look at the Gospels, one of the things you can do is just study them. And I do hope you spend time reading the Bible every day, you know. Open God's Word. He speaks. He'll speak to you. But one of the things you'll see is that in the Gospels, a lot of themes are repeated. And when there's repetition, you need to pay attention because a lot of times those are the things that Jesus is trying to, to really get our attention and to really change in us, Right? And one of the, the themes over and over again in the Gospels is this theme of kind of an upside-down kingdom, especially as it relates to this topic of, of what it looks like to truly be the greatest, it means to be the lowest. I mean, he's taught on this, and he's exemplified this. He's corrected the disciples in this time and time again. Luke chapter 6, in um, like the Sermon on the Mount, for instance, he talks through like the Beatitudes. He's saying, I mean, he lifts up his eyes on his disciples, these same guys, okay? Verse 20 of Luke chapter 6, and he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and they revile you and they spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. And leap for joy, for behold, then you're great. Then your, your, your reward, behold, your reward then is great in heaven. For so your fathers did the prophets before him. But woe to those who are rich. Who've re- they've already received their consolation. Woe to those who are full now, for they're going to be hungry. Woe to those who laugh now. Those who speak well of you now. I mean, what Jesus is saying is, this is, this is not just Jesus coming to, to somehow just give some good encouragement and cheerlead on the continuation of the world system. No, he's saying God's, the way that God does things, God's kingdom, in God's realm, things are so upside down here in the world that you've got to get a hold of how it was originally meant to be. It is completely different. It's completely different 
where God wants your heart and your way of life, you've got to think of it as a whole new realm. I've come to restore what is broken and lost. And in God's realm, the last will be first. In God's realm, the servant is the greatest. In God's realm, it's not about who's better than everybody else. All are welcome at the table. In God's realm, the poor, the hungry, the weeping, hated, the excluded, the reviled. This is the way of life and blessing. Interesting. I mean, so they've heard that. Then you, you go to places like Mark chapter 9. Um, I'm just tracking with you similar encounters. So I hope you write down the scriptures. Maybe later you go back and spend some more time in these this week, okay? Cool. All right. I'm hoping that you're writing and engaging and you're hungry for the word. Because I want this, I want you to want what Jesus is teaching here. And I don't think that we're there yet. Mark 9, 33, like, so Jesus is with his disciples and here again, they're all in an argument about who the greatest is. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And I mean, I think the disciples, so I really think that they wanted the right things. They just went about them sometimes in the wrong ways. And they had the wrong idea of the kingdom that was coming, right? They really wanted restoration and reconciliation, but they saw the kingdom as this like this real worldly thing and not this, this spiritual thing. And so they, they just sometimes went about the wrong ways. They're thinking, who, who could be the key players? Who are the ones that when this kingdom comes, they're going to be right there at the forefront and the leaders and the, the rulers and those who are sitting right by his side and Jesus' view of the kingdom is, is, is just, it's just different. And he's trying to help them get a hold of that because his view of the kingdom involves suffering and serving and ultimately dying. And, you know, Jesus comes along and he asks, you know, verse 33, uh, what, are you, what were you guys just talking about? <laughs> in other words, um, I kind of know what's going on in your hearts and you better be careful here, guys. And they say silent because they had been arguing about who was the greatest. The priorities got misaligned. The perspective got off. And he sat down and he tells them, verse 35, if anyone would be first, he must be last. In the kingdom of God, you don't try to become the greatest. If you really know God and what he's about... You take the position of the least of all. And then in verse 36, he teaches them a lesson. He takes a child, and in that day, children, you know, kind of the lowest of society, those who are really important and elite, you wouldn't just welcome children. And he, he takes a child, teaching them a lesson. And he goes, look, whoever receives one like this child in my name, they received me. Whoever receives me receives not him who sent me. Matthew chapter 20 is another occasion. Uh, you can write that down. Sweet mama. Mama of the sons of Zebedee, verse 20. Sweet mamas. Y'all have sweet mamas? I got a sweet mama. I can picture my mama asking this question to Jesus. Jesus. She might even pray this prayer this week. 
She comes up to, her, to Jesus with her sons and she kneels and says, he says, what do you want? She said, Jesus, I just want my sons to be able to sit near you. One on your right hand and one on your left hand in your kingdom. In other words, she's saying, when you come and you sit on that throne, I want them to be real close to you, Jesus. Position of honor. But Jesus turns around and answers and he asks a question. <laughs> he turns the question back and he says, do you know what you're asking? Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Do you understand what my kingdom is all about? In other words, do you really think you want to follow me? Do you know where I'm going? You know where I'm headed? Do you realize glory is found in the path of a base? And they think, yeah, 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 it's, yeah, of course we will. It's okay. And then in verse 25, Jesus calls him and says, you know that the rulers, see, see how familiar this sounds to, again, what he's repeating in Luke 22. You know the rulers, the Gentiles lorded over them. And their great exercise, great authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. For whoever would be great must be your servant. Whoever would be first must be slave, even as the Son of Man came. Not to be served, but to what? But to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So as you get to Luke 22, it's not a surprise that here again, the disciples have a problem once again, missing the whole point of what life is all about. Thinking that the pathway up with God somehow looks like more for themselves. Achieving something that would cause them to stand out above the others and somehow greater, greater comfort. Recognition, honor, whatever it is. John 13. It's the parallel account of this same account in Luke 22. Jesus is here at the Lord's Supper. He He's reiterating, and in this account we see it in a very practical example he's giving. It says in verse one, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart of this world of the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he'd come from God, was going back to God, he rose from supper. And he laid aside his outer garments, And he took a towel and he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, uh, seriously, are you going to wash my feet? <laughs> no. And Jesus answered him, what I am doing now, you may not understand, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, 
You shall never wash my feet, Jesus. And Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. And therefore, Simon Peter said back to Jesus, Lord, okay, then don't just wash my feet, but, but, but wash my hands and also my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but it's completely clean and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew he was about to betray him and that's why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for, for I am. If I, then your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. Truly, truly, I say to you, see if this sounds familiar, a servant is not greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you who do them. Who is greater? The one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? A couple of things Jesus is teaching. First is this, that you focus on serving, not seating. Focus on serving, not seating. They were all worried about the wrong things. (laughs) Looking to their own interest and not the interest of others. Who's greater in the room? The one who's content with his own interest taken care of? Everything's good with me. As long as somebody else helping me, I'm good. Or who's greater in the room? The one who's looking to the interest of others. Jesus says the greatest is not the one who's reclining, but the one who's serving. Therefore, our focus should not be on where we're seated, but how we're serving. Secondly, we see that in the realm of God, where love reigns, Selflessly serving is the highest honor. In the realm of God, where love reigns, selflessly serving is the highest honor. See, the world measures success for how many people you have working for and serving you. Jesus measures success by how many people you are selflessly serving. The world measures success by how many people are serving you. Jesus looks at you and says, I'll tell you when you're the greatest. I'll tell you what success looks like. I'll tell you when you're living as God wants you to live. It's not about how many folks are serving or working for you. It's about how many people you are willing to selflessly serve. And he cuts through the crazy craziness and the distortions of the world system that we live in 
to speak truth deep into our heart, the original creation, the original design, what it looks like to be a true human in the likeness of God. And he says it's not about trying to accumulate It's not about trying to be honored in the eyes of other people. It's not about trying to get out of work. It's not about trying to achieve some comfort or some ease or some level of other people helping you with everything that you have. I'll tell you what the greatest looks like. It looks like when you are given over to the interests of others. In the realm of God where love reigns, serving one another is the highest honor. And in the realm of God where love reigns, selflessly serving others is the mark of maturity. It is the mark of maturity, friends. Not how high can you go, but how low can you go? And I'm not talking about we need to avoid positions to where you have authority or you exercise influence or you do have people working for you, but this is talking, he is talking now to the heart. Jesus didn't deny that he was the son of God. He was the savior of men in that room. He was the teacher. He says, and so I am. You call me teacher, you call me Lord, and so I am. It's not a, a role thing. He's not saying avoid roles that are of superiority in that sense of, 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 of organization and God-given authority. This is a heart thing, so I am, but look at me, your teacher, your Lord, the greatest among you, look at how I live. Look at where my heart is, look at the manner of my life. I am he who takes his place among you as one who serves. In the realm of God where love reigns, selflessly serving one another is the mark of maturity. The feet, ugh, nasty. I hate feet. Anybody with me? Hate feet? Y'all like feet? If you're, not, if you're not with me and hating feet, that means you like feet. So anybody with me hating feet? Okay, you, the rest of you, weird. Um, just kidding. In that day, man, feet were gross. Feet are gross now, and I wear socks. In that day, feet were really gross. They were dirty, they were nasty, and nobody of superior uh, authority would ever wash an inferior's feet. Nobody. If you didn't have a, a slave in that day, a servant, to take care of your guest's feet, then you just basically put out a bowl and a towel and they wash their own feet. I mean, that was honoring, but to wash somebody else's feet, especially if you were superior in some kind of role, wasn't happening. That was craziness. I don't know if any Greco-Roman literature that ever talked about anything like that. That's why Peter had such a problem when Jesus, Jesus, his master, his Lord, his teacher, his rabbi, came to him with a towel and a bowl and saying, hey, Peter, take off your sandals. I'm going to wash your feet. Uh-uh, Jesus, that doesn't happen. Peter, it happens with me. <laughs> If you don't let me do this, that means you're not with me. You don't share life with me. Oh, 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 okay, then clean me, Jesus. I mean, he's just wanting to be with Jesus, right? Okay, if that's what it takes, wash me over. But it's a position of humility. And humility is always exemplified in super practical ways. I think all of us here go, okay, God's calling us to humility. But it's always evidence, the real test of whether or not your humble is how you live your life. Andrew Murray, who's a missionary, I love, love his biography and his writings. 
to South Africa. He said, to know the humble man, you must know how the humble man behaves. You must follow him in the course of ordinary daily life. Is this not what Jesus taught? It was when the disciples disputed who should be greatest, when he saw how the Pharisees loved the chief place at the feast and the tables in the synagogue. That's when he gave them the example of washing their feet, that he taught his lessons of humanity. Humility before God is nothing if it is not proved in humility before men. Humility before God is nothing if it is not proved in humility before men. In other words, do you want to see where you are in spiritual maturity? Look at your life before other people. In the break room, in the boardroom, in the living room, in the bedroom, in your kids' room, with your family, with your friends, with your parents, with your children, with your coworkers, with your bosses, with your employees, with your neighbors, with those who are like you, with those who are not like you. Look at the manner of your life. Jesus is always calling out this issue of humility in our hearts, in the everyday circumstances. And he grabs your attention in those circumstances and goes, hey, uh, what were you just talking about? What was that that you just did? (laughs) Who is the greatest here? And he catches us in the moments that our behavior indicate that we don't yet fully get what he's after deep in our heart. He catches us. And he asked the question, do you know who's greatest? Is it the one who reclines or is it the one who serves? And we're told, obviously, by his example, it's the one who serves. Super practical. That's why in Philippians, it's the last passage I'll turn to today, Philippians chapter two, verse one. You could turn there if you'd like. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible or just too lazy to turn. I know you. It says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Look at this, verse three. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. In other words, don't be so puffed up that your actions come from this inflated view of yourself. Don't be trying to prove yourself with other people. Trying to lord over them your authority, show it off, act better than other people. Do nothing from rivalry or puffed up conceit, but in humility... Count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's practical. And you've got to ask the question, what in the world is it 
in our human psyche that seems to have so much struggle with this, where we crave, I mean, I know me, I know you, where you crave adulation or you crave admiration. You always position yourself to get ahead or to make sure that your needs are taken care of, usually before others. And on the plane, if the air mass drops, that's a good thing, okay? Do that, and then you help other people. So for the airline people in the room, I'm not trying to contradict you. Um, Why is it so hard to be overlooked? To not receive credit where we feel like we deserve it. To just serve. And not just to serve, but to serve with selflessness. A lot of people serve, but they don't really serve with selflessness because at the end of their serving, they want attention for it. They want thanks for it. They feel like they're owed something in return for serving. That's not serving. The serving that Jesus calls us to is the serving that he had in himself. It's selfless serving, looking not at all to your own interest, but just looking to meet the interests and needs of others. What is it? It causes it to be so hard. Ah, yeah, I think I know. Oh, our hearts. <laughs> ah, I think I know what it's, why it's so hard. It's because deeply infused in our sick DNA is this issue of self, 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 self. Self-centeredness, self-promotion, self-serving, self, self-exalting. Self, self, self. And it literally seems to eat away at our salts. <laughs> And at the very center of it all is a little five-letter word. Starts with a P and ends with the R-I-D-E, pride. It tries to seek to separate us from the purpose for which we're made. Pride. There in the garden, it continues into your life right now where you literally, here's, here's what happens. You're trying to become something. You're trying to achieve something. You're trying to find something apart from God and God alone. That, friends, is what gnaws away at the true essence of what it looks like to be a human in the image of God. Why? Why do we feel this compulsion to try to become something apart from God and God alone or to achieve something apart from what God has achieved for us? To find something other than the treasure that he gives in a relationship with himself. If we could just realize that he is sufficient. We'd be free, wouldn't we? We would be free. And that's why this passage in Philippians 2 takes us right to Jesus gives us the answer for what's going on in our hearts. Verse five, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself what? Nothing. Taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. What's going on in us that makes us such a struggle is our hearts need to be changed. Your heart needs to be changed, needs to be restored to be the very heart of God. And if you just look at the person of Jesus, what you see in Jesus is God's original design for us as humans. You see an example, not full of pride, but full of love, not looking to protect, but looking to give himself away, even to those who didn't deserve it. Not looking to hoard, but wanting to give. Not wanting to bring attention to himself, but wanting to live that others might know the glory of God. Consumed with something more than reputation and comfort and ease, but consumed with the passion to help and to bring healing and hope, the hope of God to others. Not looking to his own interest, but looking to the interest of others. Look at our wonderful Savior, Jesus. You want to know what greatest looks like? Look at Jesus. He is the greatest. See him as he moves out of the comfort of heaven. See him as he's emptied, it says. And he's humbled, taking on the form of flesh. See him as he humbles himself, not just to the earth, but to the point of death. And humbles himself, not just to any death, but death on the cross, the most excruciating of deaths. See him there because he has a heart of love and he, for God and a heart of love for you. For the bigger things. This is our wonderful God. And this is what it looks like to have a right heart, to be a true human. This is what our lives are all about. And we're called to have a new heart. That's why he says, verse five, have this mind among you and yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, there is a power to free you from the grip of sin. There is power that can free you from the grip of selfishness. There is power that can free you from the grip of pride. There is a newness of mind that can be had, a newness of heart that can be had, a newness of life that can be embraced. We need a new heart. And only God can give us a new heart, but God can give us this new heart. When your heart is there, heart of humility, contentment in the sufficiency of his grace, not looking to become, not looking to achieve, not looking to find anything other than what he has freely provided for you in Jesus Christ. When you realize that it's your stinking dirty feet, the dirtiest parts of you, the dirtiest parts of your life, the dirtiest parts of your soul, the dirtiest parts of your mind, the dirtiest parts of your past. When you realize that God, the eternal God, is standing there wanting to wash your feet and that that is the way of life. That he came not to be served, but to serve. And when it's your feet that he touches and that is your crap that he cleanses, grace washes over you and it changes you, friends. It changes you. And you realize love like you've never loved. Love poured out, selfless service. This is the heart. This is the way. This is the life of God. And I don't know about you. That makes me, when I look at my God, 
serving me like that, even though I feel like, God, stay away. I feel like at Peter time, stay away. I don't deserve that kind of love. I don't deserve that kind of cleansing. I don't deserve, you don't, you don't need to get your hands in my junk. And he says, but this is the way. Yeah, this is who I am, but this is my way. And you need to be cleaned all over. And I too say, okay, then God, clean me. And then he turns around and looks at me and he goes, if I've cleaned you like that, if I've selflessly served you in that way, then you, friend, you, friend, you live the rest of your life serving others as I have served you. This is the way. Pick up your basin. Pick up your towel. Who is greater, the one who reclines or the one who serves? Friends, there's no question of who the greatest was in that room. It was Jesus, and he is the one who serves. And when we're with him, he remakes our hearts to be his heart. And at, as our answer to the question, I pray that you would see that the pathway to life is the pathway to losing your life, that you may find it. For Jesus, the end of his service was that God highly exalted him to be name above every name. He exalted him. Luke 18 says, those who humble themselves will be exalted. James 4 says that God gives grace to the humble. Psalm says, he who is humble and contrite in spirit, he I will bless. It's not the way of the world, friends, but it is the way of the kingdom. And it's the way of life. You want to know what it looks like to really be mature and to grow in maturity? It looks like saying, yes, Jesus. I want you to serve me. I want to live my life to show how great you are by serving others. A pathway of humility. Let me pray. God, we thank you for your love and your grace toward us. We thank you, God, that you came Son of man, God, you came not to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. Lord, you came saying, this is my body, my very body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. You came giving yourself away. Lord, the world has never known so great of a love, so great of a being. Lord, you are the greatest. And Lord, we just want to know you. We want to be cleansed by you, Lord. We want to be, and we need to be served by you, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that salvation and life comes because of how you lay down your life for us. It was our sin our shame that you took upon yourself. You put an end to it on the cross that we might be forgiven, that we might have your righteousness, Lord. You died, were buried, and you rose to new life, that whoever calls upon your name may not live in the old way of self and selfishness, sin, but in the new way of you, God. Thank you, Jesus. We confess, God, that There's many times in our life that we find ourselves like the disciples back in the old way. Lord, I just pray that if there are areas of our life, our hearts, where we need to repent of 
proud that we would do so. We would invite your forgiveness and your cleansing, the newness of life, the mind of Jesus himself to fill us, to lead us in the path of greatness. Not by others serving us, but our willingness to be selfless and serve because of how you served us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love. We pray this in your name.